Welcome to Premier Health Now On Air. Today we're talking about online safety for kids. We rely on the internet, on our smartphones, laptops, PCs, to connect with family and friends, to share the large and small events of our lives, to learn the latest news and, and shop. Well, there's so much to do and so many ways to waste time and even so many ways to get into trouble. So just like when your kids learn to drive, you want them to know and follow the rules of the road so they can be alert and aware and still enjoy online exploring. Stay with us for tips you can use for your kids of any age. I'm your moderator, Leslie Lane. With me today is Dr. Michael Barrow. He's a family medicine and sports medicine specialist with Premier Health Family Care North and has a long experience working with teens. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Barrow. Thank you for having me. If you've ever left the house or work without your smartphone, then you know just that moment of panic. The fact is the internet is a fixture of life today, and such a fixture that I have a friend whose preschooler knows exactly how to command Alexa to play music for her. So, Dr. Barrow, how can parents get a handle on guiding a child's online interaction when we ourselves are so dependent? It's a very good question, Leslie, because it's constantly changing, and kids adapt to technology faster than adults do. So they're oftentimes learning things before we do. And in fact, you know, there's always a standing joke about, you know, I can't operate my TV control. I need to get a teenager to come program my TV. The same is true with all the smart technology that we have. But parents still need to really make an effort to stay current and up with what their kids are doing and know exactly what technology they have available to them. How would you suggest that they become more aware of where they're using it in their own homes? For example, if you're so dependent on Alexa, you don't even really understand that you're using it. It's just such a habit. Exactly. It becomes a part of our everyday life. And I think a lot of times adults aren't even aware of how much time they spend on their cell phones or their iPads or whatever it is. And I'd have to admit that I'm guilty of that from time to time, too. And kids oftentimes model what they see their parents doing. And so if you know, as soon as we get a text or something comes in and we pick up our phone and look at it, they're going to assume that that's the way that you interact with technology. So I think that in a very broad sense, we need to be aware of our own technology usage and how much attention we pay to it, the model to them, starting when they're infants and toddlers. So you're not a fan, I would guess, of giving your smartphone to your little one to distract them when they're being fussy. No, I'm not a fan of that at all, although I know that there are times that parents often get to a point where it's like, whatever it takes, as long as it's legal, I, I need some peace. But it becomes a habit to distract kids then if you give it to them to distract them. And of course, then they're going to start to seek that for distraction also. And the other thing is we need to help parents learn what are some other ways that, gosh, when you're in that situation, how can we help you with that? Because it's an awful easy go-to. And once you've gone to it once and see that it works, and it will, you can keep going back to it. But then the, the child also learns, hey, look, you know, this is something that's fun and distracting, or if I make a fuss or whatever, I'm going to get the iPad. What's the thinking about age-appropriate access for kids to the different kinds of technology, the computer, the smartphone, getting on apps? I think that there's a lot of controversy about when kids should get what, if they get what, whatever it is. But there's studies that show that you know, there's good technology, not necessarily entertainment, but educational things online that you could do with even 
toddlers that they could watch educational shows. And I know that with my own kids, and this has been a long time ago, but they learned how to type on a keyboard with games on online. And, you know, when I was in school, that was not the case. We had somebody who was teaching us how to type, and I'm sure that man is still in therapy. But uh, for me, you know, it, it worked. But, you know, that's a good thing. And there's a lot of those type of programs out there that they can use. As they get older, there's obviously more sophisticated programs they can use. But parents need to be aware of what the technology is being used to access and make sure that it's the right things. And it's not that it's all bad, but it is a, a big time stealer. The decision about when kids get access to technology today is sometimes being taken over by schools. Absolutely. We see that more and more as educational systems become much more technology dependent themselves as uh, not only just a way to save money, but also to broaden the educational experience. And I think there's a big difference between a child having a cell phone and a child having a smartphone or an iPad or a laptop or whatever. And with the elementary age kids, having a cell phone that they can call mom and dad is, is probably not necessarily a bad thing. You have to put out privacy settings and things like that and not let them be able to access anything else. And in fact, you can actually program a contact in there called ICE, I-C-E, which stands for In Case of Emergency. And my understanding is a lot of law enforcement and uh, emergency medical responders will look for that on a phone if somebody's unconscious and they can't identify the person or call somebody, they can look on the phone to get that. So that would be a good thing for them to have. Then as they get older and to get into middle school and high school, they'll be exposed a lot more with the tablets, the Chromebooks, the iPads, that type of thing. And I just was talking to a gentleman that was telling me his uh, daughter teaches second grade and that they've got iPads in the second grade. Is there some place parents can go to get better educated about the kinds of controls and blocks they can put on this technology? There's a lot of information out there. It's accessed probably best by going to some websites like the cdc.gov, which is a government website that'll have things on there. The American Academy of Pediatrics and the American Academy of Family Physicians both have websites that have got tools for how to keep up to date on that. But even those things sometimes aren't always as up to date as the technology is. Or as the kids are. Or as the kids are, yes. Uh, oftentimes the kids can get around some of the blocks. You need to be aware of that, that just because you put a block on the phone doesn't mean that it always works. We have that stranger danger talk with kids about what they may encounter in the real world. When should we have the stranger danger talk about the Internet, and how is that content different? Unfortunately, the stranger danger talk needs to occur just as early with technology as it did with the stranger danger talk in kindergarten because kids nowadays are online a lot, whether it's at a friend's house or at their own home or at school or whatever, and that's not necessarily inappropriate, but unfortunately there are people out there that have nefarious indications for doing things and would try to lure children into doing things or clicking on a site or something, so you need to have that conversation at an age-appropriate level, and you don't obviously need to go through everything because kids won't need to hear all of it. But there's some things you can start doing at a very young age, like don't click on links that you don't recognize or don't open things that come to you that you, know, you didn't ask for and don't give out any personal information while you're online. Even if you're home alone, don't tell people that online. Do you recommend that parents and children use the Internet together in the early stages? 
Absolutely. It's a good way for a parent to learn the internet sometimes. But yes, you can actually show them how you log on to things. You can show them, okay, this is what a, a good email address looks like. This one would be suspicious. If uh, somebody's asking you to click on a link, ask them why do they want you to click on this link, that type of thing. And if you sit with them and do it together, that will help them learn what's appropriate and what isn't appropriate and when to ask for help. Some internet danger doesn't involve strangers at all. Cyberbullies can be people who know you, and some cases have led to tragic consequences. What do you want kids and their parents to know and do about cyberbullying? Cyberbullying is a very real threat that I see on a regular basis with the kids in my practice. And I think that one of the things that we need to help kids understand is that if anybody is saying mean things about them or hurtful things or encouraging them to do bad things to themselves, then they need to talk to an adult about that. And if they don't feel like they can talk to their parents, although that is the first resource, I think, talk to a, a school counselor or a teacher, and then they can take care of getting them plugged into the right people. This would be true of whether it's online or, or not. You know? And so I think if we say that if they say this to you at school, it's not okay. But if they say it to you online, it's still not okay. And we need to help them know to report that. And I think it's a little bit harder with teenagers because they're a little more reluctant to report, and that's just the way teenagers are. But if parents see that their child is spending more and more on time online or is more and more time in the room with the door shut, seems withdrawn or is morose or moody, then those would be reasons to look into, okay, you know, what all is going on. Certainly if you're able to track any of their uh, message threads or anything, that would be another way you can see if they're getting bullied. Can you talk about the practicalities of monitoring and how that happens? How can you get that done? Monitoring is very difficult to do and requires constant attention. It's not like you can put it in place and then it's done. You have to be constantly paying attention to it. Depending on your internet provider and stuff, they may have some software that could be put on it for you. Sometimes there's software on the phones that you can use. You typically have to go through you know, whoever provided to you to get that information, but then you can start to set up privacy settings and security settings, uh, whether the phone can be tracked or not tracked. Can people access the phone without your permission? So you need to have security on the phone so if somebody grabs it that it's not used for other reasons. So it does take some effort on your part to look into that and figure it out. Plus, realistically, you can Google a lot of this stuff online and, and ask questions, okay, how do you do this? There's parent support groups out there that will help you figure some of that out. Yeah, my favorite Google is how do I exactly <laughs> fill in the blank. So kids are kids. They do not have the life experience to inform their judgment about what they do online. And as we know, pictures and words there can live forever. So how can parents help their child be more savvy about what they're posting, sharing, talking about? The kids don't really realize there's a significant difference between the, the real world and what they're seeing. They just, they just can't differentiate between the two very well, and they just don't understand what, what all is going on. And, and wisdom that comes with age, which is a high price to pay for age, but nevertheless, you get some wisdom hopefully as your age. You can impart some of that to your child so that they can understand that you know, this is stuff you shouldn't put online. And I think that we oftentimes post 
personal stuff in, in places we think it's safe to post, it really isn't, whether that's a, a Facebook post about your vacation, there's some personal things in it, and then somebody else that's a friend of one of your friends sees it and maybe you didn't want that to happen. So those are things that you need to think about. It's not just always the, the inappropriate stuff. It's the personal stuff that gets out there online that, that not everybody needs to see and you can't get back. Once it's out there, it can't come back. We know from recent election seasons and even common sense that there are online groups using manipulative messages and videos to, as you said, lure you in, create converts, even radicalize young, impressionable kids. This feels like a real minefield for young people. Absolutely it is. And unfortunately, young people don't necessarily have the life experiences to be able to sort out some of those things. And while it's very natural, especially in the high school and college age kids, to be questioning of authority and belief systems and things like that, you'd like to have somebody there that loves them and cares about them and is able to temper some of that and explain you know, why some of these things might not be good things to listen to or to focus on. And if they don't have somebody guiding them on that, they could easily be lured into that and not even see what's happening until it's too late. What myths or blind spots do you think adults may have about their kids' online use that you could shed some light on? I think one of the first things we have to realize is they probably know as much or more about online and hacking than we do. So we need to be aware of the fact that it's a game we're constantly having to play and keep up with. And having open, honest conversations about everything with your kids on a regular basis is probably one of the best ways to know what's going on in their lives. And hopefully that'll bleed over into the online world, too. You can't just supervise the online stuff. You've got to be invested in them and be a part of their life and be physically present. And part of being physically present is not letting them have electronics in their bedrooms where they can do whatever they want and nobody's looking at anything. And having access to their passwords. You know, if you're paying for the account, that seems like a very reasonable reason to say, look, I'm going to pay for your phone. I need to have access to all your passwords and, and websites. Silly, sometimes dangerous challenges keep cropping up on social media. And then there are these competitive selfies to see who can outdo their friend or the last thing that was posted. These things are so unthinkable. How could a parent even hope to head off something like that? I think that uh, it's, it's a challenge. And part of it is that we sometimes model that behavior ourselves. And if you think of some of the challenges that some of the charities have done about ice water challenges and things like that, and those are funny and benign and, you know, really nobody should get hurt doing that. But it's a silly challenge, and sometimes kids don't see the difference between that type of challenge and the Tide Pod challenge or some other type of higher risk behavior. So I think we have to talk about that with them and say, listen, you know, this was a fundraising type thing. It's kind of silly. It's funny. It's, you know, no harm, no foul. But you might see some stuff online that isn't that way. And maintaining those open lines of communication where they can talk about stuff that they see that, well, this is what everybody else is doing. And parents need to listen and not do as much talking. We were given two ears and one mouth, and we should use them in that ratio. We've talked about cyberbullying. We've talked about kids posting inappropriate things. We've talked about manipulative messaging. Are there other areas that you see teens getting involved in that worry you that we haven't talked about? Yes, there's certainly some uh, areas that are either inappropriate or violent that 
kids look at that maybe they hadn't even intended to get to, but then they get there and they kind of like seeing it, so they want to keep seeing it, whether it's uh, violence involving other humans or animals or something like that, that they probably wouldn't have otherwise been exposed to. But through the glory of the Internet, we can actually see this stuff now. And for some kids, they're really disturbed by that, and understandably so. Other kids aren't disturbed by it, and that's probably should be disturbing to us that they don't really see something wrong with whatever it is, you know, somebody hurting an animal or something. And then there's the whole issue of the whole sexuality with sexting and sending inappropriate pictures. You know, you're sending something to your boyfriend or girlfriend and don't really realize that, number one, that image is going to live forever, and number two, they may not be your boyfriend or girlfriend forever, and they may want to send that information on to other people. And that's extremely common, and you cannot get that back. And once that's out, I've known students have had to change schools because they couldn't continue to be at the school where their pictures were spread around so much. I'm going to guess that the answer to that is the same answer that you've given before, is open communication with your child. Exactly. You cannot replace open communication with your kid. And I think too often we have opinions that we regularly share and we really should be doing more listening and trying to guide or mentor as opposed to telling them how they should do something. And as a parent myself, I know that I've not always been right on that. And parenting is something you learn as you go along and you're going to be better with your second kid than your first kid and better with your eighth kid than your third kid until eventually you just get tired, but experience is a good teacher. Our children are digital natives who don't know a world without the internet. So it's up to us to help them stay safe, have fun, and take advantage of its many, many benefits. Our guest today has given us a great start. Our thanks to Dr. Michael Barrow, family medicine and sports medicine specialist with Premier Health Family Care North. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. If you want to know more, visit premierhealth.com slash healthnow. We'll be back. We hope you will. I'm Leslie Lane. Thanks for joining us and watch for our next edition of Premier Health Now on air.